please be seated. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that made white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Man. You know, sometimes we... We can live as though the blood of Jesus only works on Easter Sunday morning, right? And when we come off that high of leading up to that day that means so much, we can, we can live like the blood has no effect on other days. But I want to tell you this morning as we get started that the blood has an effect every day. It's still powerful as it was on Easter Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, and it'll be the same power on tomorrow morning when you wake up and prepare for your weeks. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. There we go. There we go. Y'all are in there this morning. Y'all are in there this morning. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you and let you know that as I speak today, that you will see some page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers will correlate to the blue Bibles that are in your seat. And we do that because we want you to see that what we are saying comes from the Word of God and not just something that we made up. If you don't have a Bible, then please take that as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, then please take it and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to share over at the Year's Campus, and it was live streamed back over here about my mental and emotional health journey over the last year. And and during that time, over this last year, one of the things that God has helped to to, uh, shape me, one of the tools that we used was this thing called the Enneagram. The Enneagram helped me know more about who I was and how God shaped me and, and how he made me to be in relationship with others. And I gained so much for that that I wanted to give everyone else that same experience, that same opportunity to know how God has shaped them um, to connect with him and with others in their lives. And so that, that's why we have arranged for a certified Enneagram coach to be able to come in this summer starting May 29th over eight Wednesday nights and do a class over the Enneagram to help you connect. Like we use this all the time. It is so useful. Like, for instance, I'm a one which means I'm a perfectionist. Um, and, and so when I'm operating healthy in, a, in the healthy zone for my shape, um, that's good because I was an engineer and you really don't want somebody designing your chemical plants who doesn't pay attention to detail. Um, my wife is a two. She's a helper, right? And so um, she's a therapist. So she God and And therefore, when we communicate with one another, knowing our shapes help us to avoid... Right. I want to give 
class will cost 20 bucks, and that's just the cost of the book. Um, don't let that bother. We have some scholarships available. Um, we have food here. We have child care here. Today is the first day you can sign up, and so there's, there's entry forms for that in your seat. Pretty soon it'll be on our website. We'll that way also. Do this for yourself. Do this for your relationships, and do this for um, your relationship with God. All right. Today we start uh, our new sermon series, and that sermon series is called Nothing to Lose. It's actually going to be a, a four-part series, which we're going to split two of them before Easter and two of them, at, uh, two of them before Mother's Day and two of them after Mother's Day. I'm doing some of that good Avengers Endgame stuff. Um, you ain't a real fan if you ain't been already. I'm just sorry. I'm just, <laughs> so, um, and today we're going to focus on living like there's nothing to lose. And to do that, we're actually going to be in the book of Philippians. Philippians is in the New Testament, so you're going to kind of split halfway through, and you're going to go there, and it's going to be on the back half, and we're going to be in chapter 3 and verses 7 through 11, and that is on page 709. If you're not there, you can, you can start turning there. Um, and we're going to get going this morning as we have a ground to cover. And this is what we find the author to say there in Philippians 3. It said, once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. You know, I grew up without a, a, a lot, and we lived in either apartments or in rent houses. And, and, and when we lived in rent houses in the summer, um, we didn't have houses uh, with central AC. We grew up in a neighborhood a lot like Highcrest, and, and we didn't have central AC. We, it wasn't until later in life um, that we got this window unit. And back then, kids liked to play outside, but then when it was summertime and all you had was a window unit, um, your mama would say something like this, if, if you're going to go outside, then you need to come on with me. And if you're going to come in the house, then you're going to have to because you ain't about to let out my cold air out that door. Yeah, y'all, some of y'all ain't heard that, right? And back then, kids liked playing outside. And because of that, right, thirsty, what we would do is we would drink from the water hose. And, man, when you're running around in the summertime, that water hose water tastes like Orzaka, right? <laughs> Being broke will make you rich. I grew up on, on food stamps, and, and I can remember being given a dollar or two of food stamps and, and being able to go to the local corner store, convenience store, and I could go to the, the corner store, and I could buy a quarter bag of chips and, and a jungle juice. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And I could play a game of Street Fighter. You talking about fun? Man, being broke will make you rich. 
when I was in college, um, you know, I, I didn't have a lot. Um, it was one semester I couldn't afford a haircut, and so I wore a hat almost every day. And when I went to take my finals, I, I, wore, I didn't wear my hat, and my teacher almost didn't give me one of my finals because she didn't recognize me. And um, I had, like, one pair of pants I could fit in, no coat, and I was, I was taking 18 hours a semester for my chemical engineering degree, and, and things were hard. But, man, we had some fun in those lobbies while I was in college. And, and last month, I got to go to a wedding with some of those same friends, and we told jokes from the time we saw one another to the time we had to go get on the plane to leave. Being broke will make you rich. You know... But when you look back over your life, are you ever amazed at at just what you were able to get by on? I mean, do you look back and think about the times when you and your friends would put $5 worth of gas together just to ride around town? I mean, do do you think about being a newlywed in that small efficiency apartment and how happy you were and, and, and your friends would come over and you wouldn't care what they would say because all your furniture was broke up anyway? But what changed, right? What, what caused us to go from people living in the moment, soaking up the moment, responding to life as it came, to being in constant crisis mode, always managing our image and reputation and resumes? What caused us to start overthinking every decision, every text, every word that somebody says or they don't say? Uh, and, and even more, how do we break this pattern that we're in so that we can go back to being rich? To understand the context of our passage this morning, we need to know something about both the author and the audience. The book of Philippians is, is, is known as the letter of joy because in it, Paul mentions that word joy so much. And, and this is strange because Paul writes this letter from prison. I remember being on punishment, and I had no joy on being in punishment. And so for somebody to be in prison and to constantly mention joy is strange. And and some of the first members of the church uh, included a woman named Lydia, who, although she was successful in business, was was a Gentile and a woman. And in that culture, that made her an outsider, and so much so that she believed in God. But because that town didn't have the 10 um, Jewish men needed to start a synagogue, she had to go worship outside the city down by the river. And then you have a, 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 the jailer who, who Paul had shared the gospel with just as he was about to commit suicide due to a huge failure in his career. And, and the gospel was so transforming to his life at that moment that he demanded that not only would Paul share with him, but that Paul would accompany him back to his house so that Paul could share the gospel with all of his family and baptize them also. What causes a former terrorist, Paul, a former uh, outcast, uh, Lydia, and a, a former uh, suicidal person in the midst of recovering, recovering from career suicide and failure, the jailer, to have so much joy? They all had the same thing in common. At their breaking point, they made the goal of their lives knowing Christ. Being broke made them rich. So I would like to spend the rest of my time this morning discussing how being broken for Christ makes us rich. If you were here uh, for our Easter services, then you know that I had uh, I I said that my wife's choice in mayo caused me to reconsider my choice in spouses. Because, you know, if it ain't helmets, then it's just some condiment out there in the street. 
But what caused me to pick her in the first place? Ma'am, you okay? You okay? Crime babies equal a church that's not dying. You can have your seat. What caused me to pick her in the first place? Well, some of you know that Trisha and I met through eHarmony. In the eHarmony process, you get to create a profile, and and when engaging in online dating, a a person includes in their profile uh, what what they include a lot about who they're trying to meet and and how so, because in your eHarmony profile, you put in there things that you're proud of, things that you have confidence of, and and just like in your your career resume, you, you want to put your best foot forward. So when I read Trisha Tribe's profile and and sent her those initial rounds of questions, I I saw someone uh, and I said, there's someone who wants Now, why would I say this? Because as I read her profile, it shows someone who found her confidence in her relationship with Christ. And that relationship was based on her faith. And although she was looking for someone to do life with and and knowing Christ was the aim of her life, uh, it, it shifted where she placed her confidence. In verse 9, Paul says, I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul said that one day I'm going to meet the person that I long for. And up until this moment in my life, I was was trying to prepare myself. I was trying to put my best foot forward by by building up all my achievements and all the things that that I was doing and around my efforts. And he said, "But, but one day I met Jesus on the way to Damascus. And seeing Jesus broke Paul's Christ and he entered into a relationship with Jesus. And that meaning changed what it meant for Paul to put his best foot forward. Jesus encountered Paul in the depths of his brokenness and made him rich in a righteousness that didn't come from Paul's achievement, one that Paul couldn't earn. It it was one that Paul could only gain through a relationship with a risen Savior. If you don't understand what Paul was in the midst of, if you remember on Easter Sunday morning on the other side of the world, there was a group of Christians in, in a place called Sri Lanka. And they were in their place of worship, and, and, they, and their place of worship was bummed, and, and many of them lost their lives. Well, well when, when Paul met Jesus, Paul was on the way to do the same kind of thing. And Paul's life was radically changed. That meaning changed everything for Paul. It, 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 was, it was a relationship with a risen confidence. Now, as I I stated this morning, as I I grew up, I didn't have a lot. But by the time I started my online dating um, journey, I had a little bit more money in my pocket. I had been working full-time as a chemical engineer. I had been working part-time in ministry. And by the time I saw Trisha's profile, I was debt-free with a master's degree in Christian education and had traveled all over the world and, 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 and was hardcore about being in the best shape both financially and physically. Therefore, I didn't really want to date anybody outside my area. It, it would cost me too much money. It would cost me too much time and, and pull me away from um, being impactful in my area of influence. And, and, uh, but then I was mad. I 
After speaking with her just once, I, I asked her, how soon could I come to visit? I mean, I was flying back and forth between Kansas City and Texas or flying her to Texas every other weekend. I was planning intricate dates. I was, I, every weekend together was like a mini vacation. I was texting her. I was having food delivered surprisingly to her house so that we could simultaneously watch Netflix through FaceTime together. I mean, I was wide open, boy. Y'all seen my wife? Shoot. I wanted to see her, and therefore, my other didn't mean as much as they used to. In verses 6, Paul gives his pre-Christ resume. He says, I, I, I'm a proud, I was, I was proud of being a Jew. I'm proud of being a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm proud of my family being of the tribe of Benjamin. If you read his other writings, he said, I was proud of knowing God's law and obeying God's law. And, and all these things were still true after he met Christ. But then in seven and eight, you see a switch. He says, when I became a Christian, those things used to be my glory. The things that were my pride, the things that were my identity, the things that were my highest ambition, like religious observance and, and family status and national pedigree. Those things were eclipsed by something else. I have a new type of ambition. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. That's the one thing that I, that I want most in my life now. His, his passion, his number one thing was to, to know Christ. And he said, I count everything else as loss. And, and that word in the text there, if you were reading your scripture along with us, it said that he counted it as garbage. And that word is actually translated poop. <laughs> now, were those things really poop? No. But what he was saying was in comparison to Christ, that's what they were. Jesus says this in Luke 14, 26, and it's a hard saying. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and your mother and your wife and children, your brother and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. I want you to marinate on that for a second. Write that one down. Luke 14, 26, it's a high calling. When knowing Christ becomes the goal of your life, it rearranges our priorities. Paul says, I love my pedigree. I I love my religion's observance. I love my family. I I love all these things. But even though I love all these things, I have an ambition that's greater than any other ambition. It's what I glory in. It's, It's where I place my hope now. And while we're here, I want to say this. To be a Christian is not simply to believe in a set of beliefs. It's that, but it's so much more. It's to say that I have counted everything as lost. I I count everything as rubbish in comparison with my number one ambition is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Here's what Paul and I are saying and not what we're not saying. It's not saying that that to, to make Christ your primary uh, uh, ambition doesn't mean that you're always the person always talking about religion, that you have no outside interest, that, that you're always the person who, who is annoying everyone else. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's, that's how he describes the Pharisees in his days. That's Paul in his 
pre-Christian days. Those are the people that don't have satisfaction in Christ. Those are the people who are desperately trying to, to prove themselves and, and that they're better than everyone else and that, and that um, they're more religious than everyone else. But that's not what Paul is talking about. For a person who has made Christ their primary uh, ambition, where he's talking about more is like a person who wears glasses. See, a person who wears glasses doesn't spend all their time looking at their glasses, but rather seeing through their glasses. Right. And so as they're as they're using their glasses, as they're seeing through their glasses, if the relationship between them and their glasses gets off in any kind of way, if they slip too far down their nose, if they get dirty, then it changes their perspective of everything in their life. A person who has made Christ their highest ambition isn't necessarily always talking about Christ, but they're looking at everything through Christ. A person who has who a passion for knowing Christ, how do you deal with worry? You go to Jesus, you, you think of what he said to you, you think of what he's taught you. How do you deal with bitterness? You go to Jesus. You, you say, I'm not the judge. You're the judge. Look at how you've forgiven me. You, how do you deal with fear? You go to Jesus. How do you um, determine how much money you spend this year? You, you go to Jesus. You look at his teachings. You, you think about them through his values. How do you determine what lifestyle you live? How do you decide um, um, about your relationship you should be in? For a person who has made Christ their ambition, Christ is their glasses. They see everything through him. Christ becomes our eyes. You're not necessarily always seeing Christ, but you're seeing everything you encounter, all your conversations in, in the world each day through Christ. Is that true for you? Do you strain see as Christ sees? Do you strain at pleasing him in everything? Do you understand everything through him? Can you really say that is Christ, your great ambition. Do you just believe in a set of statements or, or can you say, as Paul said, I want to know Christ? I want to know Christ. Neo soul artist India Ari wrote a song called The Truth. In the course of that song, she says this, she says, because he is the truth and he is so real. And I love the way that he makes me feel. And if I am a reflection of him, then I must be fly because it's light. It sounds so bright. I wouldn't lie. When I first started using online dating, I had this long list of qualifications that I was looking for. And then as I I prayed and reflected on scripture, I came to the conclusion that what I really wanted was somebody I didn't mind reflecting Christ with. I wanted someone whose goal of knowing Christ had transformed their resemblance. In that process, my picture of the perfect mate was broken, and and I found the richness that I have in Trisha. And it boiled down to three things. I wanted to find someone who, who loved God, who loved God's word, who demonstrated their love for God and God's word through the way that they love others. And that brings us to verse 10, where Paul says not just that he wanted to know Christ, but that he wanted to know the power of his resurrection. Now, why is that important? Look at the deadness in your life. Look at the dead stuff. Look at the anger. How 
is that going to be turned into forgiveness? Look at, look at the insecurity. How is that going to be turned into confidence? Look at the self-centeredness. How is that going to be turned into compassion and generosity? How? The answer is the dead stuff is taken over by the Spirit of God. And when you believe that, that Jesus died and he rose for you, when you make him the goal of your life, when you make him your hope, uh, and many of you have believed um, the historical facts around who Jesus is. You, you believe that Jesus died for you, but our, our real agenda is personal success. And, and we go to God when we want him. We go to Christ when we want him. And Paul says that, that a Christian is somebody whose personal success has become knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And everything else comes second. The, the minute you decide to receive him as Savior and Lord, in that same way, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And it's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised him from the grave, now lives inside of you and starts to transform you from the inside out. Paul didn't say, I just want to know um, Christ. He said, I want to know him and the powers of his resurrection. He says, I want to become like him. I want to have his boldness. I want to, I want to be able to love like him. I want to have his wisdom. I want to have his power. I want, to, I want to be able to take criticism the way that he takes criticism. I want to be humble like he was humble. I want to be simple like he was simple. I want to be tough and soft at the same time like he was. I want to be wise like him. That's why he wanted the power of his resurrection. He, he wanted to be like Christ. Do you see how that works? Knowing Christ leads us to becoming like Christ. Knowing Christ leads us to become like Christ. The, the, the more you know him, the more you get to know the power of, of the resurrection, the more you spend time with him, the more you see him, the more you seek his love, the more you read his word and pray, the more it stirs up the power of the resurrection within you. You know, all the study, they did a study of over a thousand churches in our country of people like in those congregations. And people said this, the most impactful thing that I do that influences my spiritual growth is spend time in God's word. That's why if you're here, if you're not in a small group, you can still come to family dinner on Wednesday nights. We have something for you. We, I want to teach you how to study scripture for yourself. To get in the word for yourself where you can self-feed. It's so important. Wednesday, 5 o'clock, get a meal Sing some songs with us and learn how to get into the word of God for yourself. It's going to be the most impactful thing that you can do for your walk. You know, how do you know that you're living like you have nothing to lose? How do you know if you have made knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection? The answer is there, there should be something that has happened in your life that's so radical that you can hardly describe it with, without people hearing it and saying that you're exaggerating, but you know that you're not. See, while my wife is great, my God is awesome. You know, he took this that had issues and pride issues and, and porn addictions and food addictions, and, and, and all kind of rejection issues, and he transformed his heart. 
and he's using them for some good. If you're not forced to talk about your relationship with Christ in unbelievable ways that it seems like you're bragging when you say them, that, that you can hardly keep from crying when you say them, then and, and if that hasn't happened for you, then maybe you have a form of religion without power. You may, you may believe in the resurrection as a historical fact, but you're lacking the experience. You're lacking the intimacy. You're married and having nothing to do with one another. You're just sleeping in the same bed. God wants more for you than just being a relationship that's lifeless. God wants, if you think that being a Christian is boring, it's because you don't know God. He wants more for you than that. Your career will never satisfy you the way you really want. Your love life will never satisfy you. Your dies will never satisfy you. You're, you're, you're after a glory and you get that by the power of the resurrection. There is a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that's longing for that experience. C.S. Lewis says it like this. C.S. Lewis says that, that God has offered us Weekends by the shore while most of us are playing in mud puddles. Here we are messing around with ambition and money and sex when true joy is to be found. That's where Paul said he used to be. That's not where he said he is now. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Do you? True joy has an address and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we call stepping across the line. Across the line of faith, when when you place your trust and your confidence and your hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and and if you've never done so, then in a second I'm going to pray. No special words, no special order words, but giving you the opportunity to make that decision today. Let today be the day that you start to experience. Life to the fullness. This thing that, that he said that you can have, you start taking advantage of it. If you're here and you stepped over the line of faith, but, but you realize that you, you've been living a life void of the power of the resurrection, then I want to challenge you today to invite Christ into that area of your life that you've been holding back. Say, Lord, I want to know you in my marriage. Lord, I want to know you in my career, in my my finances. I want to know you in my health, in my worry, in my in my parenting, in my addiction, in in my success. I, Lord, whatever it is, I want to know you in that area. Where are you missing the power of the resurrection in you? It's available for you. Christ gave it all so you don't have to lose it all. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you for the gift of your son. Who left glory and took on the weakness of flesh. So that he can know every pain we experience. So he can share in our sufferings. So that we may be able to share in his glory. Father, if there's someone here today that's been trying to build a reason for them being able to stand before you on their own, and their own achievements, and their own deeds, I pray today they would give up. They would realize that the work has been finished in the person of Jesus Christ, that he was a real man, that lived a real life, that paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with you. And that your word says, Father, if we believe that in our hearts and confess that with our mouths, then we are saved. So, Father, if there's someone here today that came in this place not knowing that, that was trusting in themselves and how good they could be, that I pray, Father, that today would be the day that they turn it over, that they say, I trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what's been done for me. I know it's solely by him that I have a relationship, that I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, but it's solely by him. And Father, for us who have made that step, but we're, we're not living our best lives with you. I pray that we would stop selling for mud puddles when you offer so much more. And that whatever area of our lives that we're holding back, that we would be able to trust you totally with them. And realize that in you, we have everything we need and everything we could ever hope for and want. So we praise you. We love you. We honor you. In your darling son, Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.